Leonard Cohen suggested there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. I'm uh, looking at my computer, actually, um, and I'm looking at a video of another human being. But that's as close as we can get right now. And it's certainly better than nothing. And he's sitting in front of lovely green trees. Um, the shoulder seasons are my favorite um, spring and fall because those are the seasons of change. And uh, he looks pretty content and pretty happy with himself. And he just went and got some juice. And I don't know what's in the glass, but I'm going to guess it's it comes from a fruit. So this is Jonathan Fable. And as I always do, yeah, um, he just toasted me with his with his cup. Um, I'm going to ask you, Jonathan, to um, this is kind of like speed dating, only it's a little slower, is to tell us about your story. How did, how did you get here? Who are you? How did you form in the universe so that when people start to listen to this, they'll go, hmm, I want to meet this guy. All right. I, um, so I arrived on Seattle, Washington, both uh, my mom and my pop, they left uh, Yugoslavia at the time, communist country, and uh, we're looking to start a, a different life. And from Seattle, we moved to Ridgewood, Queens when I was about one years old. It's on the borderline of uh, Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, through family trials and, and, and situations, things didn't work out with mom and pop. So pops had left when I was about three. And um, that's what I thought he left. But uh, around five, obviously, we went into school and having two older sisters, I was... Um, I was a little bit more advanced because I, I picked up everything that they were doing. So in class, I had an abundance of energy. So I would go ahead and, and finish all the assignments and everything. And I was very peaceful. And my mom was doing a really great job of raising me on her own. And um, when I was eight, my pops returned uh, after five years of being completely absent. Like there was no word of him. And in this time, I was generating a lot of you know, uh, anger towards him and, and, you know, pretty vicious thoughts of what I would do to him. And, and when I saw him, I just broke down in tears, me and my oldest sister, my oldest sister is, is uh, the eldest of us, you know, extremely tough. And me and her are like, you know, tough. And our middle sister, well, my still my older sister, she was like, she got up and she's like, you know, like, where you been? Da-da. And he and it was just it was a really um, it was a shattering experience because we didn't know where he was and we weren't being told the whole story of it, you know, because the old European style, like the kids are not supposed to know or see or, or whatever, kind of everything sweep under the rug style. But you could feel it as a kid. You know what's going on. You ask questions and you're not getting the answers. So this resentment started building up and the anger and then becoming this sort of like triangle where mom is saying something ill of dad and dad is saying something ill of of mom but you're there in the middle and kind of picking and choosing who to trust and that's when things just changed you know for me a perfect student uh, pretty much 100 on every score you know the reading level was advanced you know i was very very well ahead of, of the grade that i was in but now i started I started acting out. I started fighting. I started I started getting into trouble and, and being in a neighborhood filled with graffiti and drugs and, and mafia and crime and stuff like that. I started being more drawn to the street at eight years old. So they they labeled me at first with ADHD and they, they come up with some other stuff because of some other experiences, spiritual experiences that I, I tried to explain to people that I was experiencing things that I saw. But then I ended up, you know, sitting there for a few hours looking at ink blots and so on so I, I stopped talking about those sort of things and and, and accepting a label potentially to be schizophrenic so I said all right you know let me not talk about these things you know and originally just because of the way I was I was always seeking attention like I would go into a room and, and this is what I was being told like you're always you're always the spotlight is on you you always pulling attention from people but at the same time 
I was looking for my father. And, and I can recall, even when I was a little kid, I was very active. My mom had me on a leash and I'd walk up to strangers and I'd be like, hey, you got a father? And they'd be like, yeah, like, <laughs> I got a father. Like, you want to you wanna be my father? And my mom would like pull me on the leash and be like, oh, no, no, he's crazy. Like, <laughs> And this sort of thing, crazy, 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 kept getting set, set over and over again because, because of the way I was. I'd be sticking things in the electric socket, you know, shocking myself and, and just doing odd stuff to get attention. And uh, it was funny. Uh, one, of, one of my childhood sort of like idols was, uh, you know, in living color, Jim Carrey, when it was like, uh, uh, fire Marshallville, let me tell you something. <laughs> you know? And I would do all this crazy stuff that would get their attention. And uh, nine years old, that's when it really started to like, you know, I, I really started getting into the street, like the block and hanging out with friends. Uh, a friend of mine's mom, he called, we were real close. And he called me up one day and he told me that his mom had AIDS. And uh, I walked outside the building. And by this time, I'm already walking around with razor blades. And, I, you know, I pulled out the razor blade. I cut my hand open and I'm like, you know, I give him the razor blade. He cuts his hand open. And this memory didn't get locked, unlocked until about a year ago. And I had no idea that I, the reason why I did it, he, mm -hmm. he told me, we, he came up for a funeral from one of our brothers and, and it hit me. And I said, wow, like what kind of loyalty was there for this kid, you know, this younger version of me and, and for me to do that. And he cut his hand open and we became blood brothers. So by that point, we were running the street. We were stealing spray paint from basements and landlords and climbing our rooftops, hanging out in the freight yard right around the block from our where our buildings were. There was uh, the M train yard, the J train yard, and then there was a freight train yard along with the bus terminals. So graffiti was everywhere. So we were writing on everything and just running around wild, stealing things and always trying to impress the older guys. So he was maybe one of the only kids you know, that was of my age. Everyone else was like grown men or teenagers. You know, I would hang out with the dudes who came back from Vietnam and they'd tell me stories, you know, and there was a whole lot of drugs and, and stuff like that that was along with it. So at nine years old is when I first started getting into like smoking weed and, and doing these sort of things. Ended up in, in the mental institutions for running away because, you know, my mom didn't know what to do. Uh, and maybe there was something wrong, you know, because I did fall down a, a bunch of times. I felt uh, you know, through a flight of steps from the fourth floor and I had some head injuries and fell down a bunch of flights of steps. And, you know, there was one time I got hit by the car on the block and they were thinking maybe there's something mentally wrong because this kid is not afraid of anything. <laughs> this is dangerous. We got to, we got to see if there's something up with him. So by 10, I was getting arrested. I ended up in, in Spofford, maybe at 11, if my memory serves me, it was the first time I went to Spofford as a juvenile detention center. And um, and then by the time I was 13, I had a PINS petition. It was, it was person in need of supervision. I was just about to get that. I had a whole record of, of, of trespasses and, and stealing and different things that um, the police pulled, uh, you know, brought me home for or brought me to the prison. They couldn't hold me in a cell. So one time I didn't want to give them my name. They handcuffed me to a radiator and they were trying to like, there was that around the time of scared straight, they were threatening me that, you know, you're going to go to Spofford and you're going to get raped and this and that. And I was just like, and I got so angry and I had this shirt because we weren't of, of wealth. I had this graffiti shirt and the sergeant came in and he grabbed the shirt and he, and he ripped it. And I was, I was so pissed and I hated them. So I had all these imaginations as a kid of like blowing up the police station and I've done like graffiti on their cars and, you know, messed up stuff as a kid to like to get back at them. And uh, this kind of went on later in life. Every time that I got stopped by a cop or had any interaction with a cop, it ended up with assaulting police officers. A couple of times, I, I, you know, they said that I attempted suicide by cop because I just couldn't accept this, you know, this just traumatic experience that happened as, as a young boy. And uh, 13 years old, the, the list piled up. So my mom was like, you know what, I'm sending you I'm sending you to Europe. So she sent me to Croatia and um, I went to live with my aunt for a little while. At first I was in, I was uh, uh, Muja, Trieste, Italy. So I, I learned how to speak Italian in the little time that I was there. And then I went to Croatia, this small island population is like less than a hundred people in the winter time. There's no cars, no cops, no ambulance. I got to meet my grandpops, um, 
my my grandmas and the family that was out there. And I made a friend, uh, a German friend. So we were training. I was training with him hip hop tapes that I had, like Wu Tang tapes. And he was showing me like uh, German graffiti and German magazines. And he had skateboards. So me and him connected. So I started to to learn to speak German, Croatian, and Italian. So in the in the three or so months that I was there, I was speaking these languages. Like I picked them up, like like second nature. It was it was incredible. And I returned to New York. You know, all tanned. My hair was blonde. It was, I, was, I was like, and I was so like, like such an energy. But I missed New York and all my friends and what was going on in the park. You know, that fear of missing out. Like something's happening. Every time I missed, like something happened on the block. Someone did something or something happened. And I, and I couldn't appreciate the place at the time. And, um, and I got back to the neighborhood. And I went right back into the, to the old friends and old stuff. I got one arrest um, one night. We went to go and, and do graffiti on the M line. Uh, no, no, excuse me, the J line. So we were out of Sufton Tunnel, South Side, Jamaica, Queens over there. And I was with two older guys and we were getting high. And, um, and the train came. And as the train came right out the tunnel, we weren't prepared for it. So I went to go climb up something. The kid ahead of me ran and climbed up. But I almost got clipped by the train. And at the last second, he pulled me over to not get hit. And the other kid, he just crouched down near the wall and he held and he, you know, held on. So and then we we could have just got right onto, we could have walked the catwalk and jumped onto the platform and grabbed the train. But for some reason we went out and then we went and we hopped the turnstile. Now paint all over our face. Little 13-year-old kid hanging out with two older kids. And it's four in the morning, something like that, three, four in the morning. Uh, I don't I don't recall the station. The first station right out of Sufton, once hundred, I don't know. And um and so two like plain clothes looking like you know workers start walk, walking up and they're like, yo man, let's be out, let's be out, let's run. They're like, nah, 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 they're just workers, it's just workers. And we could just they walked up and then you know pull out guys like what's going on, what's in the bag? And I'm the one carrying the bag. So, you know, I'm the little kid. I'm not gonna get in trouble. That's what everyone in the hood was saying. You're a little kid, you're not gonna get in trouble, you're not gonna get in trouble. All right, sure. And then that 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 night my mom came to get me, she was she was not happy at all. And um, and then like two weeks later, again, the detectives came to the house um, and picked me up for a, a burglary that was done. Uh, it turned out to be a cop's house. Out of all the cops, out of all the houses on the block <laughs> we chose, it happened to be a cop's house. And I got away. The two other guys got caught. And the detectives come to my house and they start telling me like, yo, your friends gave you up. And that was like a big no, no. Like, and I was heartbroken because I love these brothers. Like these are my, how could you snitch on me? How could you rat on me? I was heartbroken. I ended up going away for 18 months. So between all the other times that I went away for psychological evaluation and uh, other uh, occasions in Spofford, um, and plus, actually, I was going to school and I used to, and I went to many different schools. I went, I got kicked out of so many different schools. Um, by the time I was 10 years old, I don't know, I must have been through at least six or seven different schools that I was jumping to. Maybe that's a little pushing it. Five, five at least five schools. I cannot recall all of them. If I took a moment to write them all down, I, I could go back, you know, to memory. But at one point, they had me going to Creedmoor. Um, psychiatric center. Um, it was in it was in Queens Village. It was basically a mental institution. Every door was locked. You know, um, metal detectors. My teacher was six three, professional bodybuilder with Jerry curls. He also wrote graffiti. And me and him, we got together, and I didn't mess around because you know they could restrain you in there and then throw you into the padded room. And the thing is, if you attempt to escape, uh, the, the fear was like you're going to be sent upstairs. Like, you're going to go upstairs. And that was always the, like, the fear to keep the kids in check. 11 o'clock, medication time. <laughs> it was, well, we would all line up to get our meds. And, um, and, and now all these things have come, you know, compounded. And the state was just like, listen, you know, to my mom, like, this kid is out of control. He's either going to kill someone or he's going to hurt himself. So from that last charge, I ended up, uh, you know, getting sentenced to 18 months uh, started off in Spofford and then from Spofford because it was good behavior. And, and mind you, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I was told in there by one of the staff, some, she goes, you know, you the minority in here, 
And that's basically, I, I was the only, like, there was no other kid, you know, who looked like me, you know, Croatian kid, whatever, coming up in this environment. And not only that, but I was the smallest kid in every place that I went. I was number one on the line. So the staff would be like, like, head count. And I'd be like, one, you know, my, my, my balls didn't drop yet. <laughs> so puberty didn't even kick in. And I'm sitting over there, squeaky voice, one. And I would, you know, I'd walk around with the pencil in my sleeve and, uh, you know, sharpened toothbrush. If anyone ever tried to step to me and I held my ground and, and, you know, there was certain rules and code of conduct and I knew all that stuff from the street. So I, I held myself well. I got into fights here and there, surprisingly, you know, because I guess because of how scared I was, I would I would demolish kids, you know, out of that, like, you know, you, you had no choice but to win. So I got a lot of respect. And because of that, no one no one messed. And I also could read and write. So I was helping other kids write letters to the judge to help them in their situation. So kids that were in there were armed robberies. I mean, 14, 15, 16 year olds, they have armed robberies, this, that, and the third, drugs, crazy stuff. Well, you know, one kid stole a Snickers bar and the next dorm's over, the kid killed both his, his mother and his father. Like, and I couldn't comprehend like how we can all be like combined in the same place of all these varying different, um, you know, and this also sparked what's what I'm doing now with the mogul like and the stories that I was told because people would open up to me because I, I had you know I had a sense of integrity and honor and they would feel that and I and if you're with me and we're walking together like we're together there's no way I'll leave you in battle and that was and I, and I let that shine through the street and through through facilities that I was in and and from that we um you know from behaving well on good behavior and good terms, they sent me to non-secure detention. So non-secure detention was actually tougher than the secure detention. <laughs> it was crazy. It was because the kids in the non-secure detention are also in a similar place where they don't really, it's, you know, the kids who are fighting and the kids who are loud, they're not as tough in a sense, you know, because they're trying to prove something. The ones who aren't fighting, who are quiet, who sit there and they just handle business. Those are the ones that, that you know, uh, you know, I was ending up in, in non-secure detention with kids like that. And it was a tough time during that period. You know, I got jumped a bunch of times, you know, a lot of fights and, um, you know, betrayals and this and that. Put my trust into people, you know, people stealing cigarettes and stuff like that. And cigarettes was like, you got gold. You got a cigarette in there. And, you know, you, you, you lend us, you know, let someone know you got a stash bot or something. And, and you know, I, from that, put my trust in the people over and over and over and being heartbroken because I put my trust in the people. Just like that, my house was open. I used to invite people off the street. I used to bring stray dogs home all the time. My mom would flip. She'd be like, what are you doing? Get that shit out of here. <laughs> and, uh, and then I went up to uh, Edwin Gould Academy. And at Edwin Gould Academy, we were there for... Um, we were there. Oh, oh, man. The rest of the term was there. They actually released me a little bit less than 18 months because um, because there was some good behavior. And I also got in with the psychologist. So now anytime you get in with the psychologist or the psychotherapist, the medical overrules somehow. I, I don't fully comprehend it, but I was manipulating this at the time. Um, and I would go and I would share my dreams, what I'm going through. Uh, oh, I, I didn't mention when I was 10 years old, I, I was in you know, special ed. I started special ed from eight years old. And my 12 year old sister, I, I got you know, a notice in, in, in school that came to, to the class to pull me out of class and tell me that you know, my sister had jumped off a, a building and committed suicide. And she was 12 years old. I was 10. And at that time, you know, the, the vice, uh, vice principal came to class to pull me out of class. Before he told me about this, he showed me my file. Now, he showed me my file and he showed what the normal file of, of someone is. It's just transfer, you know, a couple few sheets. He's like, this is your file. You know, all the different suspensions, all the different fights, all different altercations, all the 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 um the truancy reports, this, that, and the third. It's like, what do you see happening with your life? And in some way, I don't know, I was like, I'm writing this story. I'm, I'm living this story. I'm going to, I'm going to go and do all these fan, like, but it was like, I don't know, some illusion gangster 
bacteria or something got into my head, you know, of, of the respect that the kids got on the block coming home from one year in prison versus the guys, uh, you know, and, and girls who went to college and came back four years of college. They come back with a degree or something. It's like, oh, yeah, look at that. You think you know something, you know, look at this sucker. And it's like, yo, son, you just came back from up north. Like, yo, what's up? How, how was it? How you hold your head? You so, yeah, you know, and it was this whole like. And it's like such an intrigue. And I, and I was a little, little, little kid, like, yo, what's up? And by that time I was, I was getting into graffiti crews. I had my own crew. I was 10 years old. I had my own crew in the park. We were stealing bikes. I had a little uh, bicycle chop shop on Gates Avenue with the Italians. Yo. It, was, it, it, it was like, and I had like dominion over the park and I had this real like, like walking around with razor blades, spitting razor blades out of my mouth and shit. Like I was really in this mentality that I was going to be some like boss. And, and, and I, you know, after coming home when I was 15 years old, the day I got released, I got a call that, um, but the whole time I was upstate also, I, I was, you know, I was going AWOL. And, and I was doing different things, but through the, through the doctor, I was able to always kind of squash situations. And, um, and it was, it was a great experience in one way, because through all these different facilities, it showed me that what I was thinking about my life and how it was bad and how it was tough through these experiences, the loss of my sister, my cousin, my father, my friend, my, this one, that one. And I went to a lot of funerals before my, my, my 13th birthday, um, you know, more than any kid should. My mom would all often say like, you know, you've lost more friends than someone who went to war, you know? And I realized later in life, that statement isn't entirely true. I didn't lose anyone because they're all still here with me. Um, so the day I got released 15 years old, I get a phone call that the guy who saved me from getting hit by a train just got shot and I'm coming home to a, f a funeral. And I was devastated, you know, and all these guys who I was looking up to, you know, and idolizing, you know, these, you know, gangsters and street criminals. I was hearing stories. This one, this one got shot. This one got killed. This one's up north. He's doing life. You know, he he's on the street. He OD'd. She's gone. This one. And I'm just like, I'm starting to look and I'm I'm like, man, this this life sucks. I don't see any like it's not as appealing as it was to me a few years earlier, you know, and even being in a juvenile detention, we would go, we would go sometimes to court cases and we'd be in cells with kids who'd be in Rikers Island. So they'd be telling the stories of Rikers and, you know, there's like a, a kind of excitement there. Like, you know, people getting stabbed and all this crazy stuff. And like, Oh man, like the, the animal of within us, you know, like of that beast that we can just tear shit apart. That's the ego. Like the ego is, is, in, is, a, is like, it can go to Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great type conquering. This is insane. Like, and I got to experience that and with the park, with the, with the gang and, and I got not gang, but crew sort of, you know, where I could run things and be like, you could come, you could come, you could come, you got to go, but leave your bike. And there'd be like a whole bunch of kids there. And I would go and I would sneak into schools. I was I was cutting from school when I was 10, 11 years old. And I was sneaking into high schools of kids that I knew were in high school. And I was robbing kids in high school. And I'd be like, yo, give me all your stuff. And the guy would look at me like, I'm this little skinny, not 100 pounds, soaking wet, wearing boots. And I'm going to run your shit. And the, and, the, and the guy's looking at me like, what? And I'm like, well, listen, if you don't give it to me, like... You see all those guys over there. <laughs> I, had, I was, I had no, no fear in this, this, you know, but also being kind of manipulated and trying to show, you know, how I'm worthy, like, accept me, accept me, accept me. But, you know, with that sort of uh, environment, I, um, I did, I, I did a lot of harm and uh, it started becoming apparent as the people were departing the world and the suffering and the amount of drugs that I was doing before I was 13. I had already smoked dust, tripped out on acid, did mushrooms, ecstasy, coke. I took pills. I smoked weed nearly every single day. I drank alcohol. I smoked cigarettes. Like, like I was, it was insane. Like looking back at that kid, I'm just, I'm shocked. I've raised three kids, you know, now. And when I looked at, at, at the youngest at nine years old and I'm like, I can't imagine. 
I can't imagine what my mom was going through looking at me at nine saying, when the cops come or the, or, or the, the, the teacher or the principal call her to tell her what I did, that how could she couldn't accept it? It was just too far behind beyond her, her, her imagination that her angel would do something like that. It was just it was crazy, and um, and after after this last funeral, it just things started to get a little bit more, like, start questioning like, hold on, you know what's going on here? And my, one of my cousins was uh, they, he was into Tai Chi and and um, he was becoming a licensed massage therapist, so he was going through. Um, you know, energy healing type of methods and stuff like that. So I would go and I always looked up to him because he was awesome. He's a musician, you know, his mom and his pop, my uncle, I would always see my uncle as my father and I would go there and he would show me love and explain and school me on, on the, the cycles of generations. And I would always listen to the elders, what they said, you know, I would always be listening from their experiences of, of to, I was just soaking up the world and, um, and he was sharing these things with me, different practices. And I, he was recommending different books on enlightenment and awakening. And, and I picked up different books on, on, on Buddhism, on, on Hinduism, on, on all these different practices. So I started looking into Socrates, the Greek philosophers and all these different things. And, I, and by that time, 15, 16 years old, the only reason I went to school is to meet people, write graffiti um, and, and get high, really. And I was still in special ed and I was looking to get out of special ed so I could graduate as a normal ed kid. So that's not like a blemish on my record. So they went and they put me into advanced math classes with 30 something kids in the class. So mind you, for the last five, six years or longer, hold on, seven years, for the last seven years, I've either been institutionalized or in a classroom where there was less than 10 kids and two teachers. And I've got thrown into a kid with 30 something kids, one teacher in the front mid semester and uh, advanced math. I'm like, do you guys really want me to succeed? And then I started looking into the medication um, and how much the school gets for kids who are on medication. How much does the school get for kids who are in special ed? How much does the school get? Like when I started following the money, that's when the shit started making sense. I said, Oh man, this is, this is, this is, this is pretty foul. And, and back then um, in comparison to now, I don't know the percentage of it is, but people who are in the medical and, and, and pharmaceutical co- uh, industry, they, they know what's going on. And, and, and it's, uh, it's crazy. When you follow the money, it's what you find is crazy. So there's all these headlines, but there's the money underneath there. And, um, and I started going through all these different books and stuff. And I even came across, you know, some pretty dark things. And, and even in the process, still doing drugs, still getting high, you know, being with girls and doing different things and, and just not really respecting, not being able to stay around anyone long enough to get close. This was one thing that I also realized. Everything lasted for about six months. Friendships, relationships, uh, jobs. It was like a six month cutoff. I was with a girl for six months. I'd either be three months overseas or I'd be three months in like a mental institution. But I, and then at that like six month line, things start to get a little too touchy feely. I would just, I would, I would retreat. i couldn't get broken anymore so this ego started building up all this sort of persona of crazy violent and, and i realized later it was all to protect me you know and and, and i'm grateful for it because a lot of the, the big jobs that were done by you know the gangsters and, and the guys up you know higher in the ranks let's say they wouldn't call me because they knew i was a nut and like i didn't give a shit like we're going to rob a bank like i'm i'm out there telling people like yo i'm going to rob this bank man yo we got two cars lined up we got a shot and they're like yo save what the fuck <laughs> what's wrong with you and i'm like I'm like what i'm not, I'm not oh right 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 i'm not supposed to say anything <laughs> well i want to I, I, I want to back up to a couple right. things okay i want to back up to a couple of things because there's there's lots to unpack there, Jonathan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah which is fine. Um, I like packing and I like unpacking just as well. Um, awesome. You were talking about the six month limit. Yes. And you know, we can we can we can define our lives as running towards something, and we can define our lives as running away from something, 
as well, right? And Correct. both of, both of those things happen at the same time. I used to have a friend who could never be in. Um, he he was a very very good guy, and women were attracted to him. And he went from one woman to the next, and it it never lasted. And then finally, one day we were talking. He was in a, a band I was in, and he said, "I'm in love. I'm finally in love." And I was so I was like, "Yay!" Oh. Right, yeah, <laughs> you know, his, his his like eyes were shining and everything. That's and I, awesome. said, I said, well, tell me about her. And he said, she's French and she has to go back to France in 30 days. Well, that's why he was in love with her because he knew that she was going to leave. And there's a song by Bonnie Raitt, you know, because her father was a world famous singer and he was never home. Mm. And, and she says in the song that she tried to be as good as she could be, but he left anyhow. So it, it was her that was causing him to leave. That's what she learned. And she learned that love is something that leaves. Mm. So she acted that out for, the, for most of her life, is that love is something that leaves. So when people get too close, they have to go. <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you um, is, do you think that previous you, let's say up to when you all up to when you almost got to go to Rikers, which I'm really glad that you didn't go to right. You know, that part of your life and you now this part of your life, I mean, same guy, but different guy, right? Yeah. Much, much different. <laughs> much different. So. But same, right. Yeah. Um, in those, in those, in those two people, is there a difference between them and you now, whether you find it more difficult to give love or to receive love? Mm. In comparison? Yeah, I mean, they may, they may. As I, as I am now, right. I, I feel from what has been shared with me and the guidance that I've received that I can receive and give unconditionally. But when I do receive it, I, where in the past I could give, but I couldn't receive. I couldn't receive. I, I don't know. There was a block. I didn't deserve it. There I it is, man. It. I didn't deserve it. And even, even when I met the woman of my dreams, I didn't I, I felt like I didn't deserve it. And, you know, after 13 years of marriage, and this is crazy, I would have never fell in love. Um, and the, the first love that I actually really had um, that I can say, well, there was quite a few. There was quite a few, but but the one there was one last one with a girl from my block. We were we went to school when we were five years old, and I was a little kid. I used to crawl under the seats, stay under her dress. And fifteen years old, <laughs> we got we got we got together, and I just you know I was a kid. I didn't. I didn't know, and plus all the, the things that I, I had gone through, I didn't know, you know, and it was just more of, of a physical thing. I didn't, I didn't get any, anything on, on a deeper level, but she, she ended up going with some other guy um, while she was with me. But the, the time that I was with her, a portion of that, I was also not around. There was the, there was the three, three months that I was abroad. And then, and then her best friend, boyfriend's friend, ended up going with her because, you know, the, a young girl, she, I take her away, so she's finding a way to get her back. So I had this thing that I was going to go and beat this guy up, older guy. Now he's got a car. He could provide more things for her that I couldn't. And it just made sense. But I had this dream. I was going to beat him. I was going to hurt him real bad because this girl's on my block. You're going to disrespect me. Then all this stuff. Man, the world's coming down. Everyone's going to think I'm a sucker. <laughs> I had this dream. I, I walked out the building. I stand, you know, came down the steps and I went to, to catch him. And, and then right as soon as I went to hit him, it just like right. And then I just fell back and I, I float. I floated away and I opened up my eyes and I was like, oh, I got it. That's her choice. I can't. I'm not going to go and hurt this guy. She's true. And I, and I let it go. I let it go. But for a while after that, I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't get close anymore. It would just be like, you know, one day thing, two day thing, one weekend thing, a couple weeks thing. That was it. 
There was none of that, you know, envisioning a long term. Because, you know, I was, I had all my options were open. Why would I, you know? And then I would also see the way the girls would play games with guys. And then, you know, being a, 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 the youngest in the house, having two older sisters, um, you know, losing my sister, that like, you know, not losing, but this uh, tragedy where, where right. she, she may have committed suicide that I was told, I believed that that was true, but it may not be. Um, and I loved her. I loved her a lot. And, you know, that's my sister. Like, we have, we have, you know, so much experiences together and my, um, my loss of people, this idea of loss, the illusion of it, it really kept me from being able to connect with people. And then, you know, continuing on this path to 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 find answers, to find the truth, picking up books, you know, looking into the esoteric, looking into different things. I met one kid; he was on some like sorcery type stuff, man. It was it was crazy. I was going through some some strange experiences with him, and and he had like a couple like little minions that would always follow him. And I mean, we would sit and smoke blunts, and we would talk about trigonometry. And different things. Like he used to go to school with bishops or something like that, he told me. I, I mean, I'd never met anyone that smart, that intelligent, that have that amount of, uh, of information. It was, inc- it was incredible. He was literally going to be a, a rocket uh, engineer for like, um, I think it was Rolls Royce or, or one of these companies. And it didn't happen because he did some things. He did some spells. He was telling me about some stuff that he did. And there was instances where there were other girls who came in between us. It was like, I didn't know what to do because now I'm like on a spiritual plane fighting with someone. Am I going nuts or is something really happening here? The things I'm seeing and hearing. And I, I just, I, I only know how to respond through violence. So I'm going to, I'm going to beat him up. And then he told me everything. And he's like, listen, if you want to fight, we could fight. I get it. But let me tell you first what happened. I did this and this was the result. I did this and then this was the result. I did this and then this was the result. And after that, I was just like, all right. And and there was even a, a question to, to, to join in on one of these things. And someone told me something about, you know, on a deep level, this sort of connection. Like, you know, because a lot of people think these are games. You get spell books and this sort of stuff. It's it's not a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my younger sister, uh, my younger my you know, before she left, she also started playing with some things like this. And there were stories of of doors opening and and chains coming through the hallways. You know, the mirror. They look in the mirror and say something a few times at night at a certain time. And you know, at their friend's house playing games. And and lo and behold, those things weren't just a fucking game. And um, and there was there was consequent there was results that weren't particularly uh, beneficial to the people here and the things that I experienced in that run things that I heard it was it's enough to go insane but we could leave that alone because you know I guess like oh ooh, he's he's crazy <laughs> like oh, we'll leave that alone but um well, when well, we let got me ask the- you let me ask you <laughs> for yourself as well as you know if I if if I met you at a coffee shop. Okay. And you had sort of a, a corporate haircut and, you know, clean face and all that kind of stuff that like, you know, the, the, the corporate world expects of you. And you had on a suit and tie. Uh, it, it would not take me long to realize that, that you'd been on the street because that shows, and I mean, no disrespect. If it's there, if it's there, it's there. Right. And <clears throat> I'm in the forest, man. You know, I've never had my hair this long. Since I was 13, my hair was, I've always had a baldy. I've, and I worked mortgages 2008. I mean, I ran a nonprofit business. I just got to a point where I'm, I'm farming. I, I don't, I don't, my appearance to you or whoever else, I could care less. And as far no. as corporate, I worked for immigration. I no. worked in the, in the cubicle. I can never do it. I can never do it. I can't imagine being on the train in the morning with people. Uh, you know, this, this happened in, in, in the 90s. Um, you know, I, getting into politics and seeing people, I just, 
I mean, I, I you know, I appreciate well, your... what I'm what I'm after is <clears throat> there is a there is a collision <clears throat> yeah. between the kid who was incarcerated and 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 who couldn't uh, turn away from trouble and and who uh, was diagnosed with ADHD and learning disabilities. OK, there is there is that part of who of who you are. And there is the now part of you, who you are. And in between those two, there were shifts, I would suggest, in your, I don't know, framework, in your consciousness, in your attitudes, in your assumptions, in your sense of challenge and right and wrong, and you know, all those things that 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 build character. Mm-hmm. So the question I would ask, given that story is in this two-year time of extraordinary disassociation, tsunami, earthquake, however you want to frame it. Yeah. What, what you know, because this is called back to different, the idea yeah. being that 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 it ain't gonna go back to the way it was. It's it's like it's like people who like want to go relive the 1950s. You can't yeah. do that. you can't do exactly. that. Right. It's a new chapter. It's a new chapter. And for us, so, so what do you yeah. see? What do you see for yourself and for the larger picture? And you can go as big as you want your family, the universe, the country, your neighborhood, the squirrels in the tree behind you, how, wherever you want to go. What do you see about coming out of the, this pandemic that you see as transformational that? has utility and has hope and has grace and has spirit in it, not just disaster. What I see for the world. Okay. Or or just, just for, for, for me and, and the ones close to me. Well, for me and the ones close to me also identifies as the world. So what I, what I envision happening, or from what's happened is that none of this happened by chance, first of all. That's nothing happens by chance. There's no coincidence on any on any level. But through this, people got to see the relationships they were. Things got to slow down. They got to question their dreams. Are they happy with the life they're living? And that's the one thing. I've always done exactly what I wanted in the past. I didn't understand until I took a nice amount of mushrooms and I started asking questions. (laughs) But this word want is crazy. When you look into it and what it means and and it's sort of commandment of it, it's a cup that can never be full. It's like feeding a hungry ghost because you'll get what you want. You know, old old times say, man, you can fill this whole room right here with wants and it won't be enough. But I have now, now I have. And what people will eventually come into seeing is the beauty of, 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 of simple life, perhaps. Um, the technology, how much the technology has advanced. You know, there's, there's a potential dark side to all of this that's going on. As far as technocratic and, and oligarchy and all that other stuff, we could get into that. But let's feed, let's feed the one where we take this technology and, and we build stuff. I mean, through through graphing, this, this is the, the MOGA. This is the vision of the MOGA because we started this nonprofit 2008. The founder actually departed three days after. Also, right. you know, lifestyle drugs, huffing just dust off from the computer. Another board member, uh, original board member, just departed the world about a week ago. Um, and and it's, it's even more pressing for me now to go on, to continue writing these books, to bring this place into existence so that other people could see the benefit of having these places. So now, everyone being home, not going to work, we're disconnected, but we're connected, right? But yeah. are we really connected? You know, you see people go out and this is what's happened. People have gone out. You've seen people at, 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 at social clubs, at dinners, and you can see a whole family around the table. Everyone's on their phone. And then they'll take a picture, they'll smile, and then they'll go back to their phone. I didn't have, I, I did my best to stay away from it. 
but you know if you're writing a book and you're doing these things um you know it, it it's good it's beneficial to be within it and utilize it as a tool versus it using you and that was one of the first experiences i've had with technology where i sat in front of a computer and 12 13 hours passed and i didn't even realize it got dark and i just got up and i walked away and i was like no 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 not me i was like i was gonna take the the, the thing and throw it right out the fourth floor window like no you're not gonna take me and uh and to see it happen and then this whole situation amplified what was happening so people could really take a good look and it also it 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 worked on the fear system, mm-hmm. you know, where there's this, there's this, there's this thing that's going to kill you. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't do this, that, and a third, you know, you're not going to live. And, you know, as you go a little bit deeper into that and ask questions and follow the money, once again, um, you see that in a fear-based system, there's a, uh, there's a quite a bit of amount of energy of, resentment that comes from that fear the, the, what you know the fear and then all those different energies that come from it and then you see the fish washing up on the shore you see the birds flying and just dropping out of the sky whole entire herds are just being wiped out they don't know why food shortages comets all these signs supposedly these things were written you know, they're written. They're all written. This is all happening. And um, it's a time to awaken, you know, and so, a choice, you know, where things are being presented. I'm not sure if you, you're aware, but there was a robot that got citizenship in 2017 or 18 with Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and and this is a robot, artificial intelligence. Now it's got a, it's got a baby version of itself in the meta and the, the, the uh, you know, this place that we've created a digital Sims reality where you can escape reality. You're ready, player one. <laughs> uh, so it's, a, it's a, different, a different thing when people start to realize what they had and it being lost. You don't. You, you start to treasure what you have now. So this is this is where I'm going with this whole entire um, sort of spiel. <laughs> but um, I, I see a bright, I see a bright future with the technology and us in, in alignment. You know, becoming aware of universal law, the way energy works, um, cause and effect, things that you do unto others, how they how they come back to you, and not so much in a religious um, a structure or belief systems. This is about us becoming aware and knowing, not thinking we 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 got something or or believing or, or assuming we know now it is you know all the things that science is starting to 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 put together these things were written by the ancients thousands of years ago but no 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 we need proof we need solid concrete evidence well here you go here you go here it is now now you got it now what there are multiple dimensions oh wow there's things flying all around us that we can't see. Wow, this table is not actually still. It's moving. Everything is moving. Have you ever had a psychedelic experience? We have all these things already in our body. Tele- tele- telepathy. Uh, we could start fire. We could jump from dimension. Like, I mean, the, the amount of abilities that we have that have been locked away and our minds are being controlled and being manipulated by forces out there, it's unreal in the amount of energy consumption that comes from people through their efforts every day to go to work for some i'm working for someone i never ever said i work for someone i work for me i work for the family i work for the betterment of all of us that's not my boss her and i he and i we work together this is just in the words that we use i have to get up i must no, you don't have to do a god thing. <laughs> okay, there'll be results. I can sit here and, until grass grows on. Is that gonna is that gonna benefit me? I, you know, there's some monks who've done it. They've been sitting in meditation, and when it starts to come into the public and people see, like, oh man, this guy's been sitting in meditation for hundreds of years. This isn't this isn't what I thought was even possible. 
You know, how is this two-year-old, three-year-old kid talking about uh, how, is he, how is he working at advanced math levels? This four-year-old knows everything about antiques. He never read an antique book. I met a kid who smashed his head open. He knows math on a level that you can't even imagine. He goes to the, to, to the uh, NYU uh, professors of math and stuff like that. Street cat. Yeah. So where is the sense in this? Where is the sense? Where does it make sense? I stop. I stop trying to make sense of it. But the more you seek, the more you go out to question things, the more those answers come to you. And nothing will be given to you that you can't handle. Like we can do it with what we have right now, what we have now. And like these levels of mastery where we could go through every day is, is like a dream where we could create sort of all sorts of obstacle courses to really push us to the next level. I was watching something about a hundred years of Olympics, like where we are now compared to where we are a hundred years uh, you know, ago, let's say. And when we have um, AI able to, to kind of read the body, the muscles and kind of see into everything. Cause you know, with our phones and everything, they're able to, it's able to really see the energy flows of things way beyond people's awareness, what people are aware of right now, you know? Uh, <laughs> so this in, in kind of in tandem with the AI and the robots to create all these sort of obstacles and overcoming, you know, trauma, generational trauma and fears to, to push us to a next level of physical abilities um, is, is one thing that I'm seeing. And then the, the organics where the relationship with us um, and, and this, this earth mother our mother earth like you know everything is everything is of the earth and eventually goes back and to really have uh you know a better awareness of that and and this this structure that i'm seeing is that uh there's an organics part and it's basically a massive greenhouse and there's these revolving gardens in this sphere and at the base of this this place are all these sports and basically we're playing sports like a sort of Olympic thing, you know, and in the center is a handball cube because growing up on the you know, streets of New York city, we grew up playing handball. So of course the handball court has got to be the center <laughs> and uh, all the world sports. And like, I'm saying, Whoa, well, imagine how awesome it would be to, you know, to have gone through all this levels of mastery you know, Shaolin type of monk training, ninja warrior, like masters of the world come to this place because they've all left the temples in the mountains. There are monks, people letting them know, like some of the oldest chiefdoms who've never participated in, you know, the ordinary human society, let's say, they've all left the mountains to come down to tell us like, hey, guys, you're screwing, you're screwing this up. Like, you don't realize what you're doing. And if you screw it up for us, uh, you know, for yourself, like at one point we didn't care, but now you're basically going to screw up the whole entire place for everyone, you know, by the things that, that we're doing, whether we're building, um, you know, factories that are emitting, you know, sort of toxics into the environment. We're closing up water channels and lagoons where we shouldn't because that whole entire cycle uh, of the way everything moves so with the robots and the AI, I don't know if there's a film. Did you ever see Transcendence? It didn't do too well. No. Transcendence, uh, well, it's a film with Johnny Depp. Um, and basically, he's an AI software engineer, scientist, something like this. And he's you know got an illness that he's going to, um, his physical body is going to uh, die. It's going to terminate. So they take his consciousness and they upload it into a computer. And he becomes the AI in the computer. And there's, you know, people against it. And then, you know, obviously the little team that's for it, plus his girl, she wants him to, you know, to live or at least still be there. And it shows what's capable as far as the nanotechnology goes. Because let's say they've been spraying these microscopic, you know, bots. Now, once they go into the whole entire environment, you have full control over 
over everything. There was a question I asked about a year ago, and I was doing a renovation on a hotel, and I sat in, a, in, in one of the projects, and it just came to me, I said, what if the AI already took over the whole dimension? What if it already took over? Like, would it be just business as usual? Or, or would it have some other objective? Like, what would its objective be? And I go outside to, to have a smoke. At the time, I'm smoking cigars. So I'm out, I'm smoking a cigar, and I'm sitting there, and there's a bird in the middle of the street. And another bird is flying down to pick up that bird. And all the cars are stopped, and I'm looking at, like, what the heck? Like, what's going on? So I go in the street. I pick up the bird. I bring it to the sidewalk. I go to put it into a bush. A girl walks up the path, and she goes, oh, my God, you're never going to believe this. Like two minutes ago, two or three minutes ago, I got on my feed, whatever it was she was watching, whatever social media platform, the feed, how to save an injured bird. And I looked at her and I said, huh, interesting. So a little while ago, I asked this question. So I don't know if this is confirmation of the question that it already happened. Well, we may, we may be seeing and feeling and experiencing that, that uh, collision between what we've designed, like graphene, and technology and things like that, and what we're capable of comprehending. So that's going to be, at the very least, I would suggest, it's going to be an interesting time. And I'd like to ask you a final question, and this has to do with your kids. How many, sure. how many kids do you have? Well, this is a tricky question because... It, it depends on what the perspective is, right? So in the, in the ordinary thing, okay, I helped to bring three kids into this world. Okay. But from a spiritual standpoint, I've been asking this question, you know, because as far as I'm aware of, we all have one father. So are these my kids? Are you mine? Is there a possessive thing in there? Obviously, it's my role as dad to love, guide, and protect. But are you mine? Are they mine? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't feel that. I don't feel like they're my kids. I well, feel it's my role to love, guide, protect them, and prepare them to give them the strength in their wings to fly. And my eight years old, she started her own business. Um, and started earning her own, <laughs> her own dough. Her brother was 10. He, he worked his first summer. He, he bought his own dirt bike. 13-year-old is uh, math. Uh, you know, at that time, he was in algebra honors, mathematics. When he was little, very little, I asked him, I said, what did you do when you were big? He said, I did numbers. So obviously, he was here before. So is he my kid? If he was here before? Well, for the sake of the podcast, <laughs> let's focus on those three that you most recently mentioned. Yes. So we're going to focus on a subset mm -hmm. of the whole. So, so down the line, <clears throat> they have children and how they define what children are or who owns them or who they belong to and all that. It will be a whole nother kettle of fish. Mm. Uh, their children come home one day and they're pretty little, you know, five, six, that, that sort of magical time when like kids are starting to be able to understand some pretty complex concepts, but they're not quite to the stage of shut up, dad, and leave me alone. So um, they come home to talk to their parents who are your three kids. Um, and they say, we've been talking about the pandemic and the year 2020, and apparently it was pretty strange. How did grandpa handle himself 
and your grandpa, what would you like your kids to tell their kids about how you handled yourself? As if nothing happened. As if there was no such thing. <laughs> As if it didn't even exist. That's how grandpa handled it. Grandpa was out and about. He, uh, <clears throat> he, he did his best to never put on a mask because he realized... <laughs> I don't know. He saw it for what it was. Grandpa dreamed about it before it happened. He fasted for about a month or so. And I don't know. It was just weird to watch him because he didn't seem phased by it at all. People who said they had it, he went up to them and hugged them and told them that he loved them. He never got it. That's what Grandpa was like. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, right. brother. Thank you. I appreciate your time. I love you. And peace to the family. And, uh, you know, congratulations on your move. Thank you, man. And uh, it looks like March is a possibility. We we may see one another in the flesh. Oh, down in uh, Tampa. Yeah. I've I've been getting cues to go. Um, It's just a matter of me putting some things together to make sure that that's possible. Sure. I get it. I yeah. Get it. I, will, I will be there. God willing in the Creek don't rise. <laughs> awesome, brother. I'll see All right, you later. later, man. I love you, brother. Bye. Love you. Peace. Peace. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.